0: Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis and this ABE Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today I am joined by Sophia Bogle who is a book restorer and has just written a book called Book Restoration Unveiled. Sophia is now also in the business of teaching book restoration her book explains book restoration through case studies illustrations and interviews with clients and people in, in the industry she explains why things are done in a certain way and offers lots of context and background now Sophia has more than 25 years of hands-on experience restoring books you can also find her on YouTube where her save your books channel offers some really interesting videos where you can see Sophia at work restoring books in her studio. Sophia joins us today from Ashland, Oregon. Welcome Sophia.
1: Thank you Richard I'm so happy to be here. It's an honor.
0: Thank you for joining us. Alright first question. Um, You were a restorer for a long time why did you decide to uh, move into teaching book restoration?
1: Well Let's see. The short answer is that I injured my arm. And the long answer is that one day I was cutting into the board of a leather book. And it was one of those, and man, many people don't know what kinds of boards go into bookbinding. But this was a rope board. And it's pretty ugly stuff with metal inclusions and other hard bits. So it's very hard to cut into it. And I was pressing down really hard with one hand and then suddenly there was like an electric shock that ran up from my thumb to my elbow and over time I kept thinking oh yeah this is going to get better but with repeated use, it still hurts so I had to think about it for a long time and go what am I going to do I can't do the restoration work that I used to do you know to such an extent and one night I had a dream and it was very clearly told me to start teaching so there you go.
0: So when you are at work, I presume that strength and the ability to be agile with your hands is very important to you.
1: It, it is. This is. This is not something you could do with, um, without, without hands, for instance. But it, the, the amount of strength it takes is kind of shocking because you're picking up books and many times the books are large and heavy. And so you're constantly gripping them and turning them over and you have to be so careful because if you lose your grip, you could easily damage the book. So it, it is crucial to have some kind of upper arm strength as well as the oh yes the dexterity, of course, because you're you're constantly having to like lift things, and it takes a certain amount of strength and accuracy just moving a knife along, for instance. So it is super important.
0: Okay. Um, so I'm really interested to hear who is actually taking your, your courses. Who, who is going to be the next generation of book restorers?
1: <laughs> well, you know, while, while I am certainly here for people who want to become uh, professional book restorers, my courses are mainly for people with no experience who have a book that they want to fix. Um, this is, you know, a lot of people, uh, bookstore employees, friends of the library, and um, Boy Scouts. I mean, I actually have one course that is specifically on how to repair the Boy Scout manual. It's a it's a paperback and it falls apart because it was it has that inherent vicing of poor quality glue and just you know falls apart all the time. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm really while this would be good for anybody who's trying to learn book restoration in a professional way I'm especially making the courses for people who have no tools and equipment and no well very few tools and you know some materials of course but yeah I'm trying to bring this to the masses as it were
0: so what is the most common uh, damage or where that you are asked to restore on a book
1: that's a good that's a good question and of course because books are mechanical objects it's the joints that break down first and so many times what they're asking for is a reback, but people don't know what to ask for that's that's why I wrote chapter six in my book um, book damage and treatment options it describes what goes wrong with a book, and then what are the options for that? And there are many times several options that are potential. And so I, that's that's to help them really figure out what what how to talk to their book finder or book restorer.
0: Right. So I presume rebacking is reattaching the boards or the cover of a book.
1: Well, okay, no. yes. So uh, rebacking is for me, I would assume that both joints are broken or broken enough that you need to remove the back, put a new spine onto the book, and then reattach the old spine. That to me is rebacking. Now, for some people, the term reback actually means put a whole new spine on and don't reuse the old spine. But I call that a new spine. Um, Just to be clear, it's like we need, we need to get some, some uh, agreement about terminology, and and there really isn't any. There's a, Everybody has their own um, words to use to describe something, which is, I, I was very clear in my book to say, you can't just use these terms that I've given you. You actually have to describe what's going on with the book when you're asking for help with your book.
0: A bit like when you're dealing with your doctor, you have to describe the ailment correctly. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. Very much like that.
0: Okay. I will come back to terminology in a minute, since it's something that struck me. Um, So a moment ago, you you mentioned tools and materials. Um, So I I was thinking, aside from learning from a a master or a mistress of this trade, um, aren't tools and materials crucial? Having the right ones and having the right materials for a repair.
1: Absolutely. I I. I gave a talk at Powell's recently, well, in May, with the Cascade Booksellers Association about book collecting, and my part, of course, was on repair. And what I pointed out is that people always use what they have at hand. And most people have tape at hand. And what I want to do is to encourage people to gather the materials that need to be used for archival repairs. So that's Japanese tissues, the kozo paper with the long fibers um, that are not acidic, and the and the the reversible in water rice starch paste or wheat starch paste. There's a whole controversy. Which one do you want? Um, so it is all about the materials, and the 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 crucial thing is to know what materials books are made of and what happens to them as they age, and then what do the new materials do to those older materials in the different phases of aging. When when leather is older, for instance, it is very dry, and if you put any water on the the leather, any moisture, I should say, because glue has moisture in it. So if you're trying to glue a leather book, like along, you think, oh, this board is broken off, I'll just glue it. Not only does that not work because the mechanics of the joint need to be um, preserved, and so you don't want to shut it like that, but the glue, if it's old leather, can turn that leather um, black and crispy, like it can actually destroy that leather. Whereas if you put moisture on a, a brand new leather book cover, it's just going to kind of float around, and you can wipe it off.
0: So how would a, a be- how would a beginner identify the materials of the book they are trying to repair? That such as such as paper type.
1: Oh wow. well, let's see. You don't you don't have to know a specific thing about the paper, but well, you do in a, in a, in a sense because. Clay coated paper is very different from, uh, you know, rag cotton rag paper or typing paper. So I guess there are there are some differences like that. You, but it's more like it's more about getting a sense of how they how they function. And you can you can sense a lot of things about the paper just by feeling it. Is right. it smooth? Is it rough? Does it have, you know, laid lines or Um, you know all these things kind of give things away
0: so speaking of tools and materials can you describe what your workshop looks like Um, what are the tools you have at hand around you what are the materials you've got stored I presume it's a big wooden bench with all sorts of interesting machinery and tools on it
1: I, I have an adorable 300 square foot studio that's under three giant fir trees. It's about 10 steps out from my kitchen through my backyard. (laughs) It's great. And inside I have, you know, the antique board here, which is like a giant paper cutter that weighs 500 pounds and a job backer, which holds the books in place. So I can um, work on the spine and that that's a really fun piece of equipment because the giant wheel that you use to open and close the jaws of the job backer always reminds me of, like, being on a ship. <laughs> it's, just, it's huge. So, so it, that so, It's fun.
0: So a job backer is, is like a V-shaped machine?
1: Mm-hmm. No? no, it's its like a giant vice. Right. So, and it's just standing up. It's actually one of the most awkward things to try and move. It took five people... Dragging it down the driveway, they were awful.
0: Is it Anyways. metal?
1: Yes, yes. All this cast iron, cast iron equipment. That particular piece is—I um, I had it painted bright red just for fun. And uh, I have a very old roll top desk that used to be my dad's, and all the little cubby holes in front of in the desk are full of uh, my gold finishing tools. So it's really fun to just be able to see them sitting there all the time um of course i have the presses uh, another cast it's all all cast iron very heavy equipment which is maybe why i haven't moved in like 12 years um then there's the the quick print stamping machine and the you know the case with all of the type and the fonts and the decorative um, metal things i've had the dies that i've had made for the different books um, I think my favorite thing is the, the paper cupboard, though. Um, flat file with all of the papers that I get to use. Because while most of book restoration does not require fancy, beautiful papers, because you're usually just keeping what's originally there, you don't want to replace anything if you can avoid it. Um, but I every time I buy antique-looking papers, I always buy something Fun just for the heck of it. So anyway, the paper covered is very fun.
0: Does the the workshop smell like a, a traditional used bookstore?
1: <laughs> kind of, it is full of books, many many books all over the place.
0: So you've had a long career, twenty five years of doing this job in in one form or another. Um, mm-hmm. What what's the most financially valuable book you have repaired?
1: Well, the 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 moment that I knew I was working on books I mean a book that was super expensive I was working on a uh, set of the voyages of the adventure in Beagle and it was literally worth more than the house I was working at the time I was like okay so and that was when I decided to buy a safe
0: <laughs> well I suppose you have to be careful with with all of your books but ultra careful with something of, of that nature
1: I definitely take extra steps um, for, for care and uh, like I only work on that book sometimes I'll work on several books at a time but when I'm working on something that's you know thousands of dollars well fifty thousand dollars say it's like i will be like okay nothing else is going on I'm just doing this until it's done right. I also try and get them out of the shop way faster <laughs> it's like get it done get it out <laughs>
0: Right, me, makes sense
1: don't yeah don't let it sit around for a long time
0: and in terms of beauty, what what's the most beautiful book you've repaired? One that's really took your breath away.
1: That's such a good question. Um, what what makes a book beautiful? Um, I I recently read Matthew Budman's book, the um, book collecting book that he wrote. I at the end of my book, I talk about book collecting, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because it's made me. Think about what I want to collect and do I want beautiful books and what is a beautiful book and all of this. And it's made me think back and to all the, I've had a lot of beautiful books come through. And I realized that most of what I love is the illustrations, but I also love the experience of discovery with a book. So if you open a very plain binding of a book and you discover something amazing when you open it up. That's really fun. So, you yeah, know, you think of pop-up books right away. But but really, <laughs> actually, my favorite book that I've ever restored was a book called 300 Animals. And it was one of the, I can't even remember what year it was. I'm guessing 1800s. Um, it was one of those book of animals where somebody came to North America and they recorded the animals of north america and they included a unicorn and that just made me so happy
0: <laughs> so it was a, so, a Vic- victorian best
1: yes yes well that's so, the yeah, word something like that yes. right right anyway it was um just very magical to me to find that in this book and i wasn't expecting it it's just i discovered it as i was going through the book restoring it i was like you know, here's a hippopotamus, here's a horse, here's a dog. You know, it's like, wait a minute, there's a unicorn. Right. And that, that moment of magic just has made me really happy with that book forever and ever, and I don't own it.
0: Can you explain to us the rather complex situation where um, some people believe that restoration devalues a book? Um,
1: mm-hmm. Perhaps right. it's to someone well,
0: who is not a book collector, it must seem it might seem obvious that if something is damaged, you should repair it. However, that's not always a belief. So perhaps you could put both sides of the uh, argument to us.
1: Because the desires of the purest book collector, which is a term that I've kind of I don't know invented about the the top one percent of the book collecting world, because they. Kind of set the market value being at the top there if you take a book that is desirable to that top one percent and let's say it's in very good condition but it has um a you know a tear in the page but a closed tear um if you restore that you might have just lowered the value for that purist collector um and I, I know, in, chap- in Chapter 2, I interviewed John Henley about the um, uh, appraising books and, and the value of them, and it's, it's, it's a tricky concept, because of course, if a book is broken, and you repair it, and, and then, th- then there's the whole repair, restoration, preservation question, so it gets a little complicated, but let's say you improve the book with a repair with a restoration oh my gosh it's so hard to talk about that is why i wrote the book is because it's so hard to talk about these things i'm gonna i'm gonna stop and just explain repair preservation and restoration briefly um repair is an obvious change to the book that is meant to improve it 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 you know think of tape any kind of tape it's meant to improve it, but it's an obvious thing. And then preservation is where you're basically doing the least changing thing possible to make the book last longer into the future. But that, when I say least changing thing possible, it's like, because you don't, you, you want to keep all original pieces and have it be obvious, whatever you've done. So that they can see the difference between the, the change, the repair, and the original material. They wouldn't want to hide anything. And then restoration is taking a book that is broken and trying to return it to its original, nothing happened to it state. And there's more art to it. And you're not trying to... Um, you you may preserve all of the original materials as possible but you're not keeping the repair new materials obvious you want them to be more hidden you want what restoration is invisibility and that's what you pay for that's you as invisible as possible
0: right but also isn't restoration returning a book to its uh, almost functionality some of the problems you've described about a uh, um, broken hinges or uh, spines coming away or the cover coming being loose or almost separating its yes. it's really almost so, not a functional object anymore when, when it's that but, bad
1: yes so you you take let's just take front hinge is broken off the board is completely loose you can repair that you can repair that with tape you fix the functionality theoretically um, or you could repair that with preservation which might mean that you just use some Japanese tissue and keep it together or put it in a box. I mean, that's preservation. I see. But but it still makes it, you could make it more functional through preservation, but it's not going to be a hidden thing. And with restoration, you can make it stronger and all of that, and it's more... um, surgical, you, you get in there, you, you might even re the book, you might create a new hinge, but you're lifting up the end paper first and then putting it back down. Um, there's a lot, it's really the invisibility. And and the value, it, I, in my book I say, you can take a, uh, let's see, I think I'm going to remember this wrong now, right? Okay, If you, you can take a good book I mean, when I say good, I'm, I'm using the uh, book value references, the book condition terms. Yeah. Good, very good, all of that. I believe, you, I believe that the most you can accomplish with restoration is to take a good book and turn it into a very good book slash restored professionally. Because you would always have to have that. You can't turn it into a very good book without that caveat of restored professionally. Right. but you but it, but it's still that book is now worth more because it's a very good book rather than a good book because you you've fixed all the problems you've made it readable again all right. of that so for many collectors restoration is just fine and they want to have books that function on their shelves but those purest collectors they're going to really question that so you have to know what book you have and who wants it before right. you would make a decision
0: so when a client comes to you you present them with a series of options and you're looking for their response as to which direction you take in your in your work but I guess if you're a buyer what you're looking for uh, from someone who is selling a book that has either been repaired restored or preserved is a truthful and honest description of, of what has happened to this book um,
1: Yes, and and so often um, the people selling it don't even know what's been done. They may have inherited it from someone who died. Now they have the book. They don't know it was restored, and then they're selling it. And so the the buyer the buyer needs to know what to look for. Not, you know, not that restoration is evil or bad necessarily, but you should be able to spot it. You should know what's been done to your book.
0: Okay. Um. Let's get back to terminology because I was going through the book, I found some great, great examples of jargon. Um, French joint, I like that one. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Sounds fun. <laughs> uh, I also liked.
1: <laughs> I am in Oregon. So yes, indeed. I'm sure there's somebody lo- has those somewhere.
0: <laughs> along the same theme, uh, at de-acid- deacidification. I love that mm-hmm. word. Also, could be. Uh, Interpreted another way. And then I think my favorite one was Holland beater, which could be a car <laughs> or could be like a football hooligan. You never know. Um, oh, all of yeah. these terms, where have they all come from?
1: Oh, let's see. Um, the The French joint describes the, uh, a specific way of bookbinding where the joint area is depressed And then, um, whereas there's a tight joint, tight joint books, the board is snug right up against the spine. And, I mean, they just come, I I believe that the French joint was invented by the French. There you go. There's also an American joint, which is very rarely used. It's more awkward because the spine is actually wider than the thickness of the book. Um, so very awkward, not not used a lot, um, but that there you go. That's the American joint, um, and the Hollander beater. That's just a, boy, You know, I'm not even sure where that term came from, but it has to do with paper making right. and how you beat up all the fibers and all that. And deacidification. Uh, there are sprays in all of the um, crafting stores these days. Uh, deacidify your artworks, things like that. And it will change the pH of whatever you spray that on. And, you know, that can be a really good thing, especially when you're the, the paper you've been working with is very acidic. That'll help to save that, preserve it into the future. Although there is some controversy with that. They've discovered that it can change the color of the paper over time. So really... Conservators need to be involved with real deacidification de- because you want to actually get the book um, deconstructed, put into a water bath, um, have the have the pages washed, add the you know correct chemicals to deacidify, and then you know all all of that. Very complicated.
0: It sounds like, so earlier it sounded like at times you were talking almost about carpentry. Now it sounds like you're talking about chemistry.
1: <laughs> oh, well, conservators are all about chemistry. And you have to know, as a, as a conservator working in a conservation lab, it, you, you, to get a, a degree in, cons- well, how do they say that? A degree in book conservation, whatever, anyway you have to partly do a, a course courses on chemistry right and that that is not part of what I did what I my, um my stint at the American Academy of Bookbinding was more bench training which was you know definitely where I'm focused is actually working on the books
0: right okay uh, one Final question, Sophia. Uh, we ask this question to everyone, but it's uh, what book, or usually it's books, are you currently reading?
1: Well, um, while I was writing my own book, I fell in love with cozy mysteries because um, I couldn't, I didn't, didn't have any brain power left <laughs> to do anything else. So I started reading um, the Bake Shop Mysteries, Ellie Alexander's Bake Shop Mysteries, and they are. Uh, mysteries set in Ashland, so they're so fun to read about my own town and what's going on, uh, as well as Kate Carlyle's uh, Bibliophile Mysteries. And then after my book came out, I started reading, uh, you know, a little little more less fluffy books. <laughs> I've got Louise Penny's um, Gamache Mysteries. are great. Okay. Um, and then I've also started picking up books on book collecting, like I mentioned earlier. The latest thing I have is I'm reading amaranth bore
0: sucks the book right okay
1: that's what it's called
0: <laughs> I agree there is a particular joy to reading a book about a location where you are in the location
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah I I've done that when I lived in Oxford and I was reading the Inspector Morse books
1: oh yes which uh, are <laughs> wonderful
0: are also thrillers and you can go you can go and sit in the pub where he, he usually as yeah, a is, and thinks about the case.
1: It, it's really, really, really fun. It, it makes me feel like when I'm walking through Ashland, like I'm in the mystery, like who knows what's going to happen.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. I think quite a lot of people understand what we're talking about. Yes. Okay, Sophia, uh, that's wonderful. Um, so that's all we have time for this week. Uh, a huge thank you to Sophia Bogle for joining us. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Sophia is a book restorer. Uh, and a teacher, and the author of Book Restoration Unveiled. Her website is saveyourbooks.com. It has lots of information on it, including about online courses. Her YouTube channel is also called Save Your Books. Again, really instructional. It's very interesting watching the videos. Um, thank you, Sophia, uh, and we'll see you all again soon. Thank you for listening.